Welcome to another edition of Apologetics Live. This is John Wilkinson, usually host of the council, but today I am going to go ahead and be hosting tonight with Apologetics Live. Matt, unfortunately, was not able to do his show, so I went ahead and hosted it for him. At that point, though, he just was not able to uh, join us in for the show later on. So we fortunately we had Dr. Anthony Silvestro join in to, to discuss various things. But what we do have is a small brief discussion concerning the Ohio fire that is coming up in June, where Anthony Silvestro, Andrew Rappaport, along with some other speakers, were going to be there, and they're going to be learning to evangelize to a gay pride parade, which is happening the same day that they're having the conference. So they're actually going to go ahead and going to be evangelizing to the homosexual crowd, along with those who are participating in that gay pride parade. So we're discussing about that, and then later on we're going to have a regular person who usually shows up traditional catholic is i think is what he names, goes by but also he gives by the name of james and he's a regular every week he shows up to dispute uh calvinism but anyways i started the episode a little too prematurely and starts off at mid-sentence with anthony Silvestro talking so i apologize about that but go ahead and enjoy the rest of the show it's about an hour and a half long and it's a uh it's quite a doozy so thanks. This is Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. just to get out and vandalize a little bit it's we're doing just a it's just going to be a small one um you know we're we didn't put all the uh, effort so to speak into this equip ohio as we have done in the past um you know it's we're gonna so we're gonna be uh, doing just a couple of messages in the morning michael coglin and pastor austin hetzler will be speaking i'll do just a little intro and our goal is to go from like 9 to 11 a.m and get straight out and uh go downtown cleveland because of the gay pride festival and parade oh is that going on that's going on wow. so yeah june 1st and so you know that's that's not really a good starter evangelism for a lot of people mm-hmm. you know and that's how that's how our fire conferences have always been is is yeah i mean there's a lot of people who are repeat you know that come back every year but then it's also designed for people who don't evangelize much or haven't evangelized before and they come in and get some training to do it and get a lot of one-on-one and you know just kind of whatever they're comfortable with we we kind of teach them can't can't really do that at a gay pride parade and festival those are pretty rough i don't have you been to one yeah, john yeah. yeah no i've never been to a gay pride to evangelize or anything i know but it's got to be just the most difficult thing ever probably Next to an abortion. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. well, abortions, abortions very different because you can't get close, right? They have, mm-hmm. you, you can only stay on sidewalks of the abortion mills. And uh, 
so you can't really get close. You have to, you have to preach. You have to plead. Um, <laughs> about the closest you can get is the sidewalk next to the driveway. And, and you hope that somebody stops and rolls down a window to talk for a moment. Otherwise, you know, you're right. 20, 30 feet away. Gay Pride, you can walk through the festival and hand out tracks. Yeah, you can actually carry on a conversation with them. Yeah, yeah. But but they tend to be um, very angry individuals overall. And so that that's obviously challenging. And, you know, in Cleveland, we found this last year. Last year was the first time they really did a big one. They've had small ones in years past. Last year, the first big one. So we did a Quip Ohio last year on the same day. And so we, we uh, went downtown like we do a lot throughout the year. And we do our preaching. We, you know, Ricky Gantz sets up his half mile hailer. The rest oh, of us are on acres. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're out there preaching. We, nobody says a word to us all year long. Cops just walk by. They have no problem with it, with us preaching. You know, they make sure we don't stand on private property, which there's not much around downtown Cleveland. So right. you have pretty much have freedom anywhere. Well, that that freedom is attempted to be taken away during the gay pride parade. So that's when oh, yeah. police officers come up to you and say, you can't do this. You're not allowed to do this. We're like, we do this all the time. We're, somebody is down here literally every week. The black Hebrew Israelites are here <laughs> every week. Two different factions of them. And you don't say a word. And they're vile. <laughs> they're not like us. You know, and uh, so we have to we have to remind the police officers that we have every right to be here. They never have a problem with it. And, and of course, they, they admit to us it's because they're receiving complaints from the gay pride um, people. So, you know, it's just one of those challenges that you deal with. But, uh, but it is also, it's wonderful to be at those parades because you still see the power of the gospel work. You still, still see God's word work. You see people who, um, who, who get convicted by the sin. And, and the reality is, is that everybody knows it. We, we see Romans right. 1 manifest itself, right? They, yeah. they suppress the truth about God and their sin. And they, they either are going to, to uh, dig in their heels and anger is going to flow or they're going to they're going to back off and quiet down and recognize where they're at. So you you see both of those. You don't see but for gay pride parade, you don't see much in the middle of that. You know, you get one extreme <laughs> or the other. You ever felt your life being in danger? You know, I think I think the worst I've ever seen was black Hebrew Israelites last year um, around midnight. So the same, the same night that you saw some of the vile videos that Andrew posted from New York city last August, right? That same night, several of us were, were threatened to be to be killed. Wow. And, uh, Oh yeah, it, it was, it was nuts. One of them, one of them was like directly at me. He was probably a foot taller than me too, but he's like, if that cop wasn't sitting right there, you'd be dead. You'd be a dead man right now. And uh, and I actually think he meant it. <laughs> but uh, aside, yeah, aside from him, um, gay pride, they I, I'm never scared for my life. Um, but I do believe that they have no problems doing whatever they can to stop us. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and they have they have no problems ganging up on you. Very similar to Black Hebrew Israelites, actually. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories to share, actually, maybe, and you know, I'll share it here for a few minutes for those that are that are listening. This was actually really interesting. So my first time at a gay pride parade was four or five years ago down in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was down there for a conference, and uh, we went out to the gay pride parade afterwards and, and festival to do to do witnessing. So I was handing out these tracks from from uh, Gospel Track Planet yeah. that had you know tickets to heaven on one side, tickets to hell on the other. And of course, I was handing the tickets to heaven side up to every single person walking in. And it, obviously, a number of them come back out, start yelling at you because they're seeing the. They're saying, "Why are you telling us I'm going to hell? You know, I'm going to hell." Like I didn't say that. You, I gave you the other side up, right? Yeah, it's conviction coming out. I'm gonna. I'll move away from the kids a little bit. So, we were about I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour into handing out tracks, and there was a group of six girls that came out, and just all were screaming. But there was one that was kind of the ringleader of them all, screaming real a lot at me and they literally encircled me with the one girl who was the ringleader in the circle with me and the others kind of around us as she was yelling she was asking questions and yelling and asking questions and yelling and and i, I stayed very calm i said hey look I, i'm happy to answer your questions but you have to slow down and so i'd start to answer she'd yell some more and so finally one of her friends said hey you want you're asking him questions let him answer so she got so mad at her friends for saying that to her that she she tried to rip all the tracks out of my hands. She got a couple of them. She took one, and there's actually a picture of this on Facebook from several years ago. She lights it on fire and throws it on the ground. Wow. Then she takes a second one. She goes, this is what I think of you. She rolls it up, lights it, and smokes it like a cigarette. Blowing the smoke at me, you know? And uh, I let her kind of run her course, and she ended up just leaving the circle. She was so mad at her friends, she left. So I actually had an opportunity then to to talk nonstop, answer all the questions I could remember, one after another. And and the girls really calmed down over time. They saw that uh, I didn't, I wasn't mean, I wasn't anything. And so, but you know, as time went on, one after another kind of went away till one girl was left, and. She says, you know, I really respect you, but I got to ask you one other question. Why didn't you bring up homosexuality? I noticed she didn't say it one time. And I looked at her square in the eyes and said, look, I didn't need to. You know, because I had been talking about lying and stealing and, and lust. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was, we had a great heart-to-heart talk. She started tearing, said that she's trapped in a lifestyle she doesn't know how to get out of. And uh, thanked me for talking to her. And then she walked back in. <laughs> Wow, but uh, it's very, it's very interesting seeing that. But uh, yeah, it's amazing how they, you know, they'll act all tough, you know, or 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 obstinate when they got all their friends around. But when when you get them, usually you know, one on one, that's when you can kind of address their heart, you know, and just kind of really show them the truth. And uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's funny how the gospel works that way in some ways where, you know, if you, you just stick with that and you'll hopefully be able to, to break that heart of stone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, we, we um, are very prayerful about this coming couple of weeks from now, Gay Pride Parade in Cleveland, and you know, hope you guys keep us in prayer as well for it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see the gospel penetrate some people. Yeah. Yeah, we will. We'll definitely keep that in prayer. Um, I really hope that, yeah, things will really uh, make an impact there, especially during that time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's, it's what's so sad. Obviously, we know that most churches and denominations are are completely apostate now. But um, yeah. what disheartens me so much is when you see a number of, of quote-unquote Christian churches that are out there and, and uh, supporting the Gay Pride Parade. The United Church mm-hmm. of Christ, their world headquarters is actually in Cleveland, Ohio, right around the block from where the festival, where the parade ends into the festival, where it sits. They're one of the patron sponsors so not the highest level, but the second highest level of sponsors. So they, they've got to be donating a ton of money to this parade. We'll see several churches again marching in the parade and uh, and supporting everything going on there. It's just it's just sad. Looks like we got some other people in here now. Yeah, yeah. We got a couple more people coming in. Andrew from Australia just showed up. We got uh, uh, our, our regular uh, Catholic... Uh, traditionalist he usually comes in and then we have a uh, another guy named hear his voice i don't uh, recognize him but um but yeah yeah anyways uh guys just to let you know we have um oh, it looks like andrew just left we have um anthony silvestro dr anthony silvestro he's a uh, the author of um uh, of Man, I always keep forgetting this stupid name <laughs> of the book. The Origins of Kind. On uh, the Origin of Kinds, yes. The Origin of Kinds. And so, anyways, it's um, it's Anthony's book uh, written with uh, John Eckel. And um, he is uh, a young earth creationist. And uh, if you have any questions for him about that, about evolution in general. Go ahead and uh, shoot. <laughs> we'll go ahead and uh, talk about it. Yeah, I do. Ha- I do have a question. Are you able to hear me? Am I coming in loud and clear? Yeah, you're coming in great, yeah. Ben. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, uh, Doctor Silvestro. I just wanted to know if you were able to get in uh, contact with um, the Brothers of the Most Holy Family Monastery, and if you've seen any of their material uh, that proves that. The Earth is a uh, young Earth. It's not an old Earth. It's not millions and billions of years old. Well, so I, you know, you're <laughs> talking to you fascinated me a couple of weeks ago because I had never heard of. I was just I was talking about this on the show before you had joined. And and by the way, guys, if my phone dies, it'll be a few minutes before I get back home and get on my Uh-oh. computer. So sorry, okay. I've got like five percent left, and I got to get my son home now. But. Uh, so I was fascinated hearing this distinction between the post-Vatican II church versus the pre-Vatican II church. I had never heard this distinction before. And uh, so, so I actually perused that website a little bit that you, that you uh, put into the comments section last time. Now, having said all that, I've not reached out and contacted your church. I'm, obviously, I'm happy that your, that your church is a... Uh, a biblical creation church. I wouldn't even call it young earth. Cause that assumes that I, I think we give too much credence to the old earthers. And by, by calling ourselves young earth, um, having said that though, 
if I ever came to a Catholic church to teach, I would be teaching the gospel because, as you know, I don't believe that you guys have a gospel. I would call you guys. Well, do you, do you believe in the Nicene Creed, Dr. Silvestro, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed? Um, I believe in scripture. So so everything has to be looked at through the lens of scripture. And that would be. Do you that believe that the Nicene right? Creed and do you believe that the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed are in accord with scripture? Not the interpretation you guys take of it. What what interpretation do you believe that we take of it that disagrees with Scripture? Well, um, when we would use the term one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we would not say that that is Roman Catholicism. We would say that that is the, the universal church body, of which is defined in Scripture as people who are believers um, by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by works, as you should, lest ye should boast. So... That's 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 the stance I would have on that. And and we Catholics would agree with you that it's not by our works. We don't boast of our works. And I had explained that to several Protestants before on on the apologetics live broadcast, whereby if you continue with Ephesians, you would see that in Ephesians 10, we're obligated to do the works that God has laid out for us. So we can't stop at verse nine. We have to go on to verse 10. And if we fail to do those works that God has laid out for us, then we are not living the true faith that James the Apostle says we must live to be saved. There's a false faith and there's a true faith. So we have to do the works that God has laid out. We have to be obedient to him, not our works, but the, God's, the, the works that God has laid out. And that's what we Catholics believe. We have to say yes to his works. We cannot reject his works. We cannot say no to his works because if we do so, we're refusing his grace. We're rejecting God's grace by doing so. And I, I could give you numerous verses from the Bible that backs up what I'm saying, if you'd like. Whoa. You okay, bud? Sorry, my son just dropped off his bike. Um, I Look, I, I think this would be a very fun discussion for us to have at some point. Um, I've sat down and had hours of conversation with hours of conversations with priests. I've heard the same stuff. The bottom line is what it comes down to is you guys. Oh, Oh, I think he left. <laughs> I think he dropped. That's that's the thing, you know, a lot of uh, Protestants believe that Catholics believe we have this works-based salvation, but that we're not Jehovah Witnesses. We don't believe that our works, and we're not Jews, we don't believe that our works gets us to heaven. The Council of Trent clearly says that it's not by our works that we merit anything. The, the Council of Trent actually says that. It says our works, we do not merit anything towards salvation. Mm -hmm. It's only through doing the things that God has laid out for us, the faithful to do, whereby we receive the reward, as the Bible says, we receive the reward of salvation, but we have to do the things that God has laid out for us. So it's God working through us. It's not us, it's not our righteousness. It's not our righteousness that's doing anything. How do you know that you're doing the work of, of God? 
Well, let me put it this way. If you, you know the story of um, the Good Samaritan, right? Yeah. So, okay. So if you do something out of love for God and love for neighbor under the, the new covenant, remember that we, there was no grace associated. You could have done something out of love for God and love for neighbor under the old covenant, uh, Old Testament times, but you wouldn't have received the grace of salvation through that. You could have been considered justified before God, but not justified unto salvation. I know Matt brings up Romans 4 with regards to Abraham a lot, you know, saying, well, he was justified in the eyes of God. But it never says that Abraham was saved in the eyes of God, which is why Abraham didn't go to heaven. None of the Old Testament saints went to heaven. Why? Because they were not saved based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. So only persons under the new covenant are saved. And that's why the Old Testament saints didn't get to heaven until after that occurred. And Jesus ascended into heaven until after he ascended into heaven that they were able to get into heaven. So the thing is, with regards to salvation, Catholic teaching says that we have to do, we have to be obedient to God. We can't say, okay, well, we're saved by faith alone, and that's it. There's no works required with regards to that type of faith. Because if you say that, you're going against not only James, but you're going against Paul and Scripture. And you're going against Peter. And I, I could give you numerous verses, which actually shows that you have to be obedient to God. Otherwise, you will not enter heaven. And, so how do you know, you know when I mean, you well, it's not a matter of doing enough. It's it's not a matter of you have yeah, to do a list of things. So then this isn't, this isn't Islam. Islam. This isn't Islam where it's like a scale, okay? You, it's not a matter of doing enough. What you do... What you do is when you have the opportunity to do that which is right, that which is godly, out of love for God and love for neighbor, then you should do that which is, you know, out of love for God and love for neighbor. If you don't do that, you're rejecting God's grace. Because obviously it's God's grace working through you when you're actually doing these things. If you refuse to do these things through your own free will, and that's where, we disagree, that's where I completely disagree, disagree with Calvinism. If you fail to do these things through your own free will, then what you're doing is you're saying no to God's grace. You're rejecting his grace. And there's consequences for that. And the Bible makes clear that there's consequences for that. If you lose the grace of God, even after you've been justified, let's say you were justified 10 years ago. If you go ahead and you reject his grace 10 years later by, by not doing that which he has laid out for you to do, then you will lose your justification. And if you don't repent of what, you know, of, of not fulfilling God's works, not doing what God has laid out for you, then you can end up going to hell. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved, eternal salvation. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ. And you can sin all you want. No big deal. You never say and that. And you'll go to heaven. 
No, well, Matt Slick said that. I mean, Matt Slick said he sends every day, practically every minute. The very first debate I had with Matt Slick when he started his apologetics live broadcast, he said every single minute he sends. He can't remember a time in any minute that he has not sinned. And I told him, well, how can you go ahead and sin like that? And I, I brought him to uh, Galatians 5, and I showed him right there that it says that if you commit these sins, you will not get into heaven. And he's saying, oh, well, that's not speaking to believers. I'm like, what do you mean it's not speaking to believers? It says it's calling them the faithful right there, and it's calling them brothers. So it's Paul is calling them the faithful. He's calling them the brothers. He's warning them that if they commit these sins, they will not get into heaven. So how do you, how do you get around that? The cross? Sorry. So you'll just say, okay, so then you'll say the cross, so therefore I can sin. That's what you're saying. I can sin because Jesus died on the cross, so I can sin. That's what you're saying, correct? No, incorrect. So you're going to use Jesus as a license to sin, and that's what Protestants do. They use Jesus as a license to sin. It's a a get out of – yeah, it's a get out of hell card. You can go ahead and sin all you want. It's not. What you're presenting is not... You just said the cross. I just said, how do you get around Galatians 5, and you said the cross. So you're wanting to get around Galatians 5, which is the inspired word of God. How do you get around sin? I asked you. I asked you, how do you get around Galatians 5? And the answer should have been... the, The answer should have been, you don't get around Galatians 5. You don't try to get around Galatians 5. That's the answer you should have given. Then how do you get around sin? Well, you get around sin by... You get around sin... Do you want me to answer? You get around sin by not... You get around sin by not committing the sin in the first place. And if you do happen to sin then you do exactly what the Bible tells you to do. You repent and it's confess repent. the yeah, sin. Absolutely. Yeah, you just, you're, right. when you, you're on the Protestant side then. And that's basically you're on the Protestant the, side, no, because, side then, entirely. No, because I've already asked Matt Slick. Matt Slick is not the end-all answer to everything, all right? So <laughs> let's, on, let's put that down. Okay, let's just say that, look, if Matt Slick said something – yeah, maybe he might have slipped on something and, and might maybe he spoke uh, incorrectly. But well, hold on, it's not a matter of slipping on something because the Protestant view of Calvinism is not a slip on something because Calvinists and those that believe in the once saved, always saved eternal security doctrine believe that once you're justified, you cannot lose your salvation. And I always present this question to them. Well, wait a second. What if the person does not repent? And they say, yeah, but the person will always repent. Okay, well, then I give them another scenario. What if the person dies at the moment they're committing the sin? For example, someone's, someone's in the act of committing adultery, and they have a heart attack while they're actually having sex with another woman other than their wife. Where does that person go? They always tell me that that person will go to heaven because they were justified they always give that answer. Matt Slick gave that answer. Every Calvinist I've ever spoken to gives that answer. So that is unbiblical, 
It's an absolute unbiblical answer because the Bible specifically says that those who are grafted in can be ungrafted. They can be cut off and thrown into the fire. Now, a while back, I called into Matt Slick's radio program and I asked him, I asked if all those who are grafted in are justified. He said, yes. Well, the Bible says they can be cut off and thrown into the fire. They can be cut off from Israel, from the covenant of Israel that God made with us. So if they're thrown into the fire and they're cut off, what does that mean to all of you? Can you be thrown into the fire as well? I certainly can. If I go ahead and I, for example, if, if, I, and I was given the example earlier, the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Uh, if I go ahead and I see a, a wreck on the side of the road, and the people look like they're in dire conditions, you know, they're, they're hanging out the window, they're bleeding, and I have the opportunity, even if I don't want to help them, you know, uh, you know take them out of the car or whatever, I don't, because I fear that maybe I might make matters worse, if I have a cell phone in my hand, I can easily dial 911 mm-hmm. and, and get the police or ambulance there. Mm-hmm. And in today's society, we have people that will, you know, they'll see things, different things, not just that scenario, but different things happening where they don't stand up. They'll yeah. many, just many walk on don't. by. And, they, yeah, that's right. right. You've got right. it right. So, and, right. That's a sin. Okay, and yeah. we've already know that Calvinists admit that after one is justified, they still commit sins. So they can't say that this person would not do such a thing. So it's possible that a person would do such a thing that was justified at an earlier date, maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. But, but on but this day, they did not do the right thing. They did not dial 911. They did not help these people. They just continued to walk on by. Now, that's a sin. So my question would be to all of you, is that person still justified in the eyes of God? For walking past, what if they can't do anything about it? I just said they could. I gave the scenario where they have a cell phone. They could dial 911. They could do something about it, but they decided not to. So my question is this. Are they just still justified in the eyes of God? What's justification got to do with walking past? So you're establishing that it's a sin. I'm establishing that it is a sin. It's called a sin of omission. It's something that they could have done. They could have yeah. done a good work, okay. but they refused so, to do the good work. Jesus Therefore, died and paid for that sin. What was that? Did Jesus die and pay for that sin? Jesus only died and paid for sins that a person is repented of. Really? Really? So all, all your sins have so been committed? 14 just basically is a bunch of bunk. So, so you believe that Jesus died for people that are unrepentant of their sins, meaning that people that are in hell right now because they refuse to repent of their sins, that, that uh, Jesus died for them? For their sin? People are in Did hell. Jesus die for God. Were their sins covered by Jesus' blood? No, obviously not, because they didn't repent of sins. That's completely obvious. If you right. if you so, if you are not going to repent of your sins, you, you're going you're going you're not going to get anywhere near heaven. Okay. Okay. If then you then you're agreeing sin, with me. However, then you're agreeing with me. 
You're agreeing yeah, with I me agree that with repentance is necessary. Okay, yeah, and so you know what? Many atheists would also walk past it. So that's the Catholic position that repentance is necessary, but the Calvinist position is that repentance is not necessary because once a person is justified, they cannot lose their eternal salvation. Are you talking about what Paul said, to be justified and glorified and all that, that bit back in, I think that's 2 Corinthians? I wouldn't have a clue off the top of my head, but that's kind of where you're going, is it not? Well, what I'm saying is there's numerous cases in the Bible where it makes the case where if, if you go against God and you're not obedient to God, you can lose your justification. You're no longer considered right in the eyes of God. And okay. if you're not considered right in the eyes of God, then you're not going to get into heaven. You, I mean, That's exactly right. So if you die with sin that you've committed, but you're not you're repentant of that your sin, own righteousness. It no, it's not, it's not your own righteousness. I've already yeah. told you before that it's the works that God has laid out for us to do. So what are the works that God has laid out for us to do? How do you know you're doing the works that God laid out to do? Well, how do you know? Well, here's the thing. If you ask me a question, you ask me a question. Do you want me to answer? Go ahead. Okay. We're already commanded to do works of love for God and for neighbor. So the works that God would have us do, obviously, would coincide with uh, works of love for God and love for neighbor. So you don't know what works God has laid out. I don't know. You don't know. But what we do know is that it is works for love, for love of God and love for neighbor that he did lay out. So you should, whenever you have the opportunity to do this, you should do this. Because if at any point you don't, how do you know that you're not doing what God has already laid out for you to do? Why would you pass up such a thing? I wouldn't. Pass and isn't it love itself? Isn't love itself a grace from God? Is it? Are you capable of knowing love without the grace of God? Are you capable of knowing love without the grace of God? No, absolutely not. But to put that into a new scenario, buddy, uh, I, I had an accident in my scooter about 12 months ago. A car cut me off. The car didn't stop. The car drove on. The bus behind him stopped, and another passing motorist had the decency to stop. Okay? So who sinned in that scenario? The guy who cut me off? Me? Or, you know, where are you going with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd, look, I don't know anything about all that. You know, um, if if you had the opportunity to do something that was right for your neighbor, if you had the opportunity to do something right for your neighbor and you refused to do it, then that obviously would be a sin. But here's so, the thing. But right now, I have the opportunity to do something for my neighbor. Right now, at right now, I can just go ahead and end the show, go over to my neighbor and cook him a bowl of chili. You know, okay, come on. I mean, <laughs> dude, I mean, you, 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 I mean, the thing is, this is, is 
Well, now you're being now you're being silly. Now you're think about what you're doing right now. Now you're acting like what you're doing what the atheists do. You know, when people when when theists debate atheists, they 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 get silly with all this stuff. You know, obviously, if your neighbor was in need of food and your neighbor needed help, then yes, you should help out your neighbor. You should try to help out your neighbor. But if your neighbor was capable of you know, fixing a bowl of chili for him or herself, then there was no need for you to do that. Uh, so let's let's try to be serious here. Let's try to be serious here. The good the story of the Good Samaritan is about someone that was in need. Yeah, and, certainly, and certainly. we we agree that the the Good Samaritan was. But the thing is this yeah. is my my point was this is even the Pharisees thought that they were doing good. But Jesus rebuked them. And many, okay. many, so, many references, many parables. What about the what about the men who bought the so, woman who was suddenly in, caught in adultery, and they stood yeah. there before Jesus until until they <laughs> suddenly realized they were so sinful that Jesus just completely ignored them, and they all end up ended up walking away. And the woman, uh, when Jesus finally turned around, he says, who's there to condemn you? No one, my Lord. Um, that's gone. They're all sinners. Okay, but with regards to the Pharisees, the Pharisees were looking at their own works, their own righteousness. That's How the do you know? difference. They were the Pharisees. That was the difference. Well, we know. You asked me a question, I'll, I'll answer. We know because we have the example where the, the uh, the Pharisee or Sadducee, whatever he was, he went into the temple and he was telling God, look how good I am. I'm such a great person. But look at this other person right here. This other person's a sinner. But God specifically said that, no, that person is, I see that person, that other person that is a sinner as being righteous, not you, because that other person is repentant of his sins. Right. Not and you. He was actually being honest with himself, saying that he's a wretched sinner. He's a exactly. sinner. Right. So right. he was repentant of his sins. And that's the point that I'm making. You have mm -hmm. to have repentance of your sins in order to get right with God. It's not a matter of you're justified 10 years ago and now you're eternally secure. That's what Cal Again, that's what Calvinists believe. That's part of their tulip thing. But that's not. Uh, yeah, they also believe in complete depravity and total depravity. So, you know, there's nothing they can do to earn the grace. And the grace is also irresistible. So you can't resist it. When you get the grace, you get the grace and you don't really want to do the rest of it. But you're inclined to sin all the time because your thoughts are only evil all of the time. Well, if you I'm go, going to go ahead and accept all those things, John Calvin tells you that, you go right ahead, but that's not biblical. I mean, the Bible specifically speaks about people that were considered righteous. Um, and so they often because they had no. Sorry, John. No, it's all right. But they were counted so you can, because they, were, they had faith. Hmm. Yes. Well, they had faith. Yeah, they, they had faith. They were righteous, but they weren't depraved, as Calvinists say. They claim that everybody is depraved. Well, we see examples in the Bible where it does not say that these individuals were depraved. It says they were righteous. Where were they out of? Well, I would 
disagree. I would there. totally disagree with you on that because Abraham was called out of a land of multiple gods. Number one. Okay, but you're you're saying that anyone that commits a sin is depraved. That's that's your argument. But know, that's what the argument that the Bible makes because obviously yeah, if someone no, has no, no, the state of you because because of your sin, you are in complete depravity. Causing sin. You, know, you wouldn't be in complete great, depravity great. if you're capable of coming to the faith and growing in the faith and fighting against sin. That's the problem with, again, Calvinists, because they believe that once you're justified. Sin. Well, let me explain. Calvinists believe that once you're justified, then it's okay if you continue to sin. Because sin does not bar you from getting into heaven. So it's okay that you remain, and that's what they say, you still remain in complete depravity even after you're justified. But we Catholics don't believe that. We believe that God's grace can actually work through you so that you can be transformed from within so that you're no longer in that state that you were originally in. Mm-hmm. You come to a state whereby God is working through you, sanctifying you and changing you from within, regenerating you and making you a changed man, not exactly. the old man, but the new man. Exactly. So you're, you're mm-hmm. right. So the new man is not depraved. We Catholics do not believe that the new man is depraved. We but believe the old man is still in the flesh. No, the new man the new man is in the flesh only in the sense that he is capable of still being tempted by no, no, the no. forces of evil. Paul said but that doesn't flesh. mean that he's Paul said it's li- flesh, he said. Yes, but also, well, okay, so are you saying Saint Paul was depraved? Yes, totally. Before okay, he was converted. Show me, scripture, show me an explicit Show me an explicit verse in Scripture where it says that St. Paul was a depraved said, human being. He said he's a chief of all he sinners. He said he was Jew of Jews. He, he was a Pharisee. He was under the law. He was perfect. He said okay, himself, and after, he, he, after he came unto the new covenant, after he came unto Christ, show me where he said that at that point he was depraved. He was no longer seen as uh you know a righteous person but he was now a depraved person i can't give you any scriptural evidence because there isn't any but no there isn't any so that means calvinist claim is a man's claim it's not the bible's claim the bible specifically tells us not to sin and it warns us not to sin because it says if you commit sins you will not get into heaven. Calvinists well, don't believe this. True. No, they do. Paul, they no, do. they don't. They I've spoken to them many times in every single Calvinist I've spoken to. And not just Calvinists. There's other Protestants also that believe this. They believe in the once saved, always saved. Not Calvinists. But Paul says in Romans 7 that sin dwells in his flesh. While he's in the flesh, he's given over to sin. So... Okay, and Paul also says that he fights against the sin to run the race so that he will not be considered a castaway. But he also says he gives into it, too. Yes, he gives into it, but he fights fights against it. And as you know, obviously Paul... Romans 7 is exactly what he is saying. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Paul, this is Paul speaking after after his conversion. So it's not it's okay. So okay, and I don't disagree with that. But what I'm saying is that's not a someone that is saying he he's not defending the sins that he's committing. No, a depraved person, a depraved person would defend the sins. For example, uh, Dr. Sebastian was speaking about the uh, gay pride parade uh, earlier. Yeah. These people that are homosexuals, that they embrace homosexuality, they defend homosexuality, these people are depraved reprobates. Yeah, they're not they are antithetical no towards... Well, the, oh, really? Oh, really? Every single Calvinist I've ever spoken to has gone ahead and said that once a person is justified, they can continue to sin and they don't have to worry about it because they're still going to get is, to hell. Uh, what does Romans 5.10 say? Once we're reconciled by the death of Christ, we're justified by his blood, we're reconciled, how much more will we be saved? We are reconciled and justified by his death, not by our ability to carry it out, to carry salvation out as a part of uh, the no, 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 don't continue with the verse. Let's stop with the verse. Don't don't give your own uh, no 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 it uh, reading. Says, what does it say? It Let's says, stop. We are reconciled. What is it? What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is going ahead and accepting the righteousness of Jesus Christ in what our lives through His sacrifice wait, 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 on the cross. Wait, do the enemies do the enemies of God accept the reconciliation? Because it says while we were enemies, we were reconciled. How does an enemy accept a reconciliation on his own behalf? Enemies mm. do not accept. The, the the offer of reconciliation. Reconciliation must be applied, not not offered. You're you're throwing that in there once it's accepted. The verse doesn't say anything about being accepted. Well, go ahead and take a look at Galatians five, nineteen through twenty. No, no, no. I want to talk about Romans five. That's where we're at. Well, we're talking about whether you get to heaven or hell, right? So let's yeah, take a look at great. Galatians 19 through 21, 5, 19 through 21, because St. Paul himself says right there that you cannot get into heaven if you commit sins. Do you stop sinning? Well, I just explained that. Obviously, anyone that commits sins would be considered an enemy of God if they commit mortal sins against God. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you could go ahead and say that these individuals, even if they accept the righteousness of God and it is applied to their lives, if they give in to the sins, then, yes, they're still going to be considered enemies of God. So, yeah, yes, it's possible that enemies. persons could be considered enemies of God whenever they sin. But you always have the opportunity to repent of your sins to get right with God. So this yeah, is what he's warning the believers about in Galatians five nineteen through 21. He's, he's warning them not to commit sins nobody's, because if you do. Nobody's justified by repentance, though. Nobody's reconciled no. by repentance. The Bible okay, so then explain Acts 2.38. Right. Okay. Then you disagree with Acts two thirty eight. Hang on. No, I, I Acts two thirty eight. What's the general subject of that verse? Well, in order to be justified, you have 
to, you can't be justified and have your sins forgiven. In order for your sins to be forgiven under the new covenant, you have to be justified. And it says yes, right there in did. Acts 2.38, you've got to repent in order for your sins to be forgiven. But who justifies? Therefore, you are not justified, justified until repentance you repent of your outward, sins. Repentance is an outward work. An, an outward, an outward, um, it's, it's like, um, why would you say it's outward? How do you know it's outward? It doesn't say anywhere in that verse that it's outward. No, no. Repentance is not. Repentance doesn't add to justification or reconciliation. You're saying that it does, but repentance. I didn't say that it added. I said it's necessary. I said it's a necessary requirement based on what Acts two thirty eight says. Repentance is a gift of God, of the inworking of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Is that is that yes yes it is a gift of God. So apart from the Holy Spirit working within a man, there is no repentance. Repentance is an outward expression of the inward working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, but all you're speaking about is provenient grace that moves a person towards God. No. You're not, not speaking I'm about not, the grace of no, justification I'm, right now, which is I'm, actual grace. No, I'm not speaking about provenient grace. I'm speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit to apply regeneration and sanctification and justification and reconciliation to an elect of God. I'm not talking about. Okay. So how is that applied? Well, let's, let's have that discussion. How is that applied? That's the, what must be done. What's the purpose of what must be done in order for that to be applied for justification to occur for our sins to be forgiven. Repeat that. Sorry. We have to be justified by the blood. Absolutely, by the blood. So, does water baptism, is it connected to the blood of Christ? No. No? If, well, let's take a look at that. Okay, you just said no. Well, let's, let's find out if that's biblical or not. This is, this is the thing that Andrew went back and forth with you on either last week or two weeks ago. And that you constantly were... Um, we're ignoring his arguments and and using equivocation on baptism and so I mean that's well, an argument you should probably wait for Andrew to come back on to, what to equivocation that. because I was simply agreeing with Matt Slick. Matt Slick agrees that water baptism at Acts two thirty eight is what's occurring there, uh, and so anything that uh, uh, Rappaport said against me, if I was using uh, equivocation or whatever, then that would have to apply to Matt Slick. Yeah, but Andrew and Matt don't agree on many things. Okay, but anything that he used against me would have to apply to Matt Slick because Matt Slick agrees with me that Acts 2.38 is referring to water baptism, and that's the only case I was making. You were were trying to connect baptism to regeneration. Yeah, you know what? I'm double dumped. I've been sprinkled and I've been dumped. Well, um... Rappaport admitted that. Rappaport admitted that. Told me that if I did not do that, I would not be able to be part of that church. Rappaport admitted that regeneration and baptism are linked. Yeah, of course they are. But he just believes not in Holy in Spirit sense, baptism, not, baptism. Not in the sense that a Catholic does. Well, he just believes that it's not water baptism; that is Holy Spirit baptism. But he admitted that. Mm-hmm. Baptism and regeneration are linked. So we didn't uh, argue on that point. There is also a baptism of fire, but that was only happened to the 12. 
Well, that only happened to the 12, did it not? It didn't happen to anybody else. No, the baptism of fire, Jesus specifically made the case in several verses uh, where baptism of fire refers to suffering in martyrdom. And so that doesn't only apply yeah. to the 12, okay. it also applies to any disciple of Jesus Christ that is that suffers in his name. But were they but were they there at the time? Was who there? They Your answer is no. Was I there at the time to get the tongues? Receive the tongues of the fire? Well, I don't know. Many Protestants claim charismatic Protestants claim they're speaking in tongues. Uh, charismatic I, Protestants? I, I've not <laughs> met one. We're not, but no that's, one's defending that, charismatic. That's an oxymoron. And no one's arguing for charismatic. I thought they were the frozen chosen. This is kind of a red <laughs> moment. Um, Sorry, I'm being sarcastic. I think um, Catholic, uh, I, I think, and I can't remember your real name, the one you go by. Um, <clears throat> yeah, James. James. <coughs> right. I always keep forgetting that. Um, the, the bottom line uh, I find is, and, and we, we jumped around so many verses and so many topics that it's hard to kind of focus on what exactly we we uh we were talking about <laughs> um but I, I find it that you keep keep making the argument that this is what Calvinists believe, this is what Calvinists believe, but at the same time you don't you're not a Calvinist. I mean <laughs> I just don't see how you can you can say that you know a Calvinist believes in such a way or says this, but yet you have you not listened to my previous discussions with Matt Slick? I mean, well, have you usually a discussion what? with Matt Slick is one sided, so <laughs> I specifically asked Matt Slick. I asked him and and I've asked every Calvinist I've ever spoken to if someone Calvinist. is justified and, and not just Calvinists. There's other Protestants that are not Calvinists that hold to this as well. They hold to the eternal security doctrine and one saved, always saved doctrine, mm -hmm. whereby they believe that once you're justified, you cannot lose your justification, no matter what sins you commit. And and I ask him, well, hold on. Does once a person is justified? You didn't say that. We always say we cannot lose our salvation. So I asked them, I said, okay. So I asked these individuals, these Protestants, I said, okay, well, uh, is it possible that this justified person can commit grave sins such as adultery or, um, you know, things like that? And they say, yes, they, they say that this person could end up doing such sins. So then I say, okay, well, then if they commit these sins, will they still get to heaven? Yes, because they've been justified. I said, well, you would agree, though, with Catholicism that they have to repent of these sins in order for them to get into heaven. They say, absolutely not. Once justified, always justified. You cannot lose your justification no matter what. So that's eight. Hey, that's the conversations I've had with them. Now, if you disagree with that and you believe that repentance is necessary, then you're agreeing with the Catholic position. So, but you're not agreeing with Matt. You're, treating, you're not agreeing you're with Calvin. But you're treating repentance as an act or, or a, a, some kind of 
repentance is an ongoing thing, like just like sanctification would be. Repentance isn't something that just ebbs and tides. It's something that's within the heart of the believer constantly. Okay, well, let me ask you, Jeffrey. I mean, if a man what, commits adultery, what? Well, hang on. If a if yeah, a man yeah, commits ahead. adultery, go ahead. go ahead. Let's say ten years ago he was justified. He came to the Lord, but he today he's committing adultery. Right now he's committing adultery. Well, see. Okay, on. so let's say. Okay. okay. What does the Bible? So do? let's what say. Does, what does the Bible command us to do? To go to him, regard him as a brother. To bring him before, and him. call him. And, okay, and well, let me let me finish my question yeah, first. I didn't even I didn't okay. even ask the question yet. Go ahead. So, right now he's in the act of adultery. Sure. Tomorrow morning he dies of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Where does he go? Heaven or hell? Well, that's he not. He will be judged. Do what? Sorry, I said he will be judged. Listen to me. My question was: He committed. Okay. The act of adultery this uh -huh. this night. Uh -huh. Tomorrow he dies of a heart attack. He didn't repent. Okay, okay. he didn't repent of that act of adultery. Uh -huh. Where does he go? Heaven or hell? Okay, let me ask you a question. I'll, I'll answer your question after you answer my question. Okay. okay. Upon his profession of faith, with if he shows an outward sign, the outward signs of, of being a believer, having been a member of his church and a and a practicing Christian, someone who who openly um, lives an obedient life according to the to, according to the to the revealed truths of Scripture, the way a Christian ought to live his uh, life, submitting to the authority of the church, uh, uh, the authority of the elders and the deacons in the church, um, raising a godly house, living a godly life according to the Scriptures, yet falls in falls into even a gross sin. The Bible never tells us or commands us once to even regard him as an unbeliever, unless. He doesn't come to repentance. So therefore, according to what the scripture has revealed, he would go to heaven if he is in true faith. Okay, so listen to what he just said. Jeffrey just said that this individual Let me okay, hang on. That, if if you die tonight, not having loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength continuously, would you go to heaven or hell? Yeah. If I go ahead and I die Have you perfected that? Listen, let me answer the question. May I ask? May I answer yes. the first yes. question? Thank you. If you go ahead and you die without being in any mortal sin, then you will go to heaven. Okay, so what's the mortal sin? Well, St. Paul lists I'm them. If you, I mean, I keep referring to. Uh, you can go to Corinthians, or you can one Corinthians, or you can go to. Um, Galatians five nineteen through twenty one is listed right there, and he says okay, if you well, commit those sins, you, you will not go to heaven. You have so to be righteous, right? So, so we have the ability. Who's he speaking to there? He's calling them brothers. He's calling them the faithful. So obviously they're not unbelievers. So man has the the ability to nullify the justification of the blood of Christ by mortal sin. The well, the well, let's just think about what you just God, said, Jeffrey. You answered my question. You gave the answer that all Calvinists and eternal security doctrine believers always give me. You well, said that yeah, that person would go to heaven. Justification. Okay, so you you God, said not so you believe that the person that commits plus okay. my ability to carry out justification. Okay, so therefore you believe that the person that commits the act of adultery and dies unrepented of that act 
will go to heaven. So you disagree with St. So Paul you, so in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. So hang on. You disagree with Paul that there is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If they yeah. mortal <laughs> there sin, you go. <laughs> if they commit mortal sin, there's now there, there now for there is condemnation upon mm-hmm. committing a mortal sin. You can be condemned by committing a mortal sin. You disagree with Paul, who said there now there is there for now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But so you believe that someone that commits mortal sin, the sin of adultery or homosexuality or child rape, is in Jesus Christ. The cross was that powerful. So you believe they're yeah. oh, so you believe that they're in Jesus Christ. So somebody that is engaging in a Not homosexual Christ, act, he's in Jesus on. Christ. He's yeah. in Jesus Christ. He's put on Christ and he's presently in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for those. You believe pedophiles are in Jesus Christ. No, we no, that is Never said that. You're making you're making this huge leap from American evangelical Christianity to what true biblical door era Chris, uh, Calvinism is. Again, you told me the man would go to heaven. Jeffrey, you said that and, man and, would go to heaven and, even and if he did not repent of that sin. Me, then you're telling me there's condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So well, we again, have- I'm pointing to the homosexual and the pedophile. Are they in Jesus Christ? Well, they're on the Catholic Are they church. in Jesus Christ? What's the difference between the adulterer? You're saying the adulterer is in Jesus Christ. What about the homosexual? Is he in Jesus Christ? Look, there, look there's, is he in Jesus Christ? This, this is this is all. Look, we yeah. read in the Bible that you're either a heart, you have a heart of stone until God replaces it with a heart of flesh. The person who is still sinning, what you are calling mortal sins, there's no distinction in the Bible about mortal sins. But what you're calling mortal sins? When John, when John doesn't make a distinction, of course it no. does. No, it says there are sins that do not no, 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 Hold on death. a second. Hold on a second. So here, here's the issue is that is that people that are committing sins, when they have the heart of flesh that God gave them, he's adopted them into his family already. That, and that's a person that can never be taken out of his hands. This is a person who has a heart that is a repentant heart. While they might fall into sin, even some grave sin, they are a they have a repentant heart. Their heart was changed, and that's a heart that is is a permanent change in their body. So that's I think I think you're mixing up a lot of concepts here. That uh, I think we're trying to explain these things to you. I think Andrew tried to do this a couple of weeks ago okay, as well. Okay, so then you need to explain, Dr. Silvestro, why did St. Paul warn the believers not to commit these mortal sins, these grave sins? Otherwise, they would not get into heaven. Why didn't he simply say, don't worry about it. You have a repentant heart because 10 years ago you came to Christ. Therefore, because it's okay. You can not sin God understands all. that you have this repentant heart. It's okay. You're going to get to heaven anyway. Because okay. it's the same example it's the same what was happening in the church of Corinth and all these in these churches that are being warned is the same thing we see today. This easy believism, high, easy believism, hyper grace. You got all these people calling themselves Christians, yet living like the world. He says, do not don't mm-hmm. he, uh, uh, we're commanded to abhor what is evil, to to abstain from from the desires of the flesh and the desires and the pride of life and all of that. And so when you have somebody who's calling himself a Christian yet practicing, making, he doesn't say those who have perfected righteousness. He said those who practice righteousness. So when you know, St. Paul isn't, St. Paul isn't, St. Paul isn't considering them to be outside of the church right there in Galatians. He's considering them to be part of the church of Galatia. Yeah. But we know that they're, that the church is riddled with, 
tear wheat and, or wheat or wheat and tear. But he's not making the case that these are unbelievers. He's making the case that these are believers in the church of Galatia, which is why he's calling them brothers, which is why he's calling them the faithful, which is why he's warning them not to commit these sins. Because, I mean, common sense would tell you that there would be no point in warning unbelievers not to commit these sins because unbelievers would go to hell anyway because of their unbelief. Their sins would be meaningless because they're, you know, they go to hell because of their unbelief. So they could they could live a perfect life and not commit any sins, but they'll go to hell anyway because of their unbelief. So he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to actual believers in the Church of Galatia and telling them, "Don't commit these sins because if you do, you're going to go to hell. You're not going to go to heaven." Now. What does that mean? Does it mean that they have to do works of themselves, their own works of righteousness to get into heaven? No. It means that as we see in Ephesians uh, 2.10, they have to do the works that God has laid out for the faithful. Otherwise, it's not a true faith. James specifically says that in order to have a true faith, it's not a faith alone. It's a faith that has works. What does these works mean? Is it our works? No. It's the works that Ephesians 10 says is God's works working through us. And if we fail to say yes to those works, then we're rejecting God's grace. And if we reject God's grace through our own free will, which we have the ability to do, then St. Paul makes the case in Galatians 5 that we're not going to get into heaven. And I could give you numerous other verses, which makes the same case if you, if you want to see them. Mm-hmm. For example, I mean, if you go to um, Matthew, um, it says, you know, right there in Matthew, it says that if you go ahead, let me see what verse that is, uh, 529 through 30, it says, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. And if thy right hand offend thee, the one that is offending, it's not offending you, it's offending God. That's the case that it's making. Uh, yes. Cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable that thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy that that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Mm-hmm. So it's making the point. So it's made the parable, which is obviously refers to cutting off occasions of sins, which are things in life that will drag people into offenses against God. Only has a meaning if sins and works are part of a, of determining whether one attains salvation. Again, not by our own works, but the works that God has laid out for the faithful to already do. So by cutting off sinful things and bad works, then one will save his soul. So one is working alongside with God. He's not saying, well, you did it all, Christ. I'm going to use you as a license to sin. No, he's saying, I'm going to work with you, Lord, and I'm going to be obedient to you. And therefore, man's sins and works or therefore a part of his justification, but it's not man's works of himself. It's the, again, it's, I have to keep saying this, it's the works that God says in Ephesians 10 has laid out for the faithful to do. So if man were justified by faith alone, this parable wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. No, but you know what? Um, I can think of several things. Uh, recently, Israel Falau, who's an Australian rugby union player, and we need him for the World Cup this year, has been fired from the Australian rugby union for posting on his Twitter feed exactly those sins. And on top of that, he's out of a job. 
he can't go back into the NRL because the NRL says he's not being inclusive and that's the National Rugby League where he came from before he was in the rugby union. Uh, his cost everything. Um, uh, then uh, the other story when you were talking about the, uh, the, the sin of gouging out the eye, both, I think every man has looked at a woman somewhat lustfully at some point in time. So they got to gouge out two eyes. Now, a person in a local hardware store, I heard this story third or fourth hand, but he walked straight into the hardware store, back up to where the power stores were, made sure one was on, put his hand next to the blade and cut it off. Now, okay, well, maybe, maybe you didn't hear anything Islamic thing. If you, if you thieve in yeah. Islam under Sharia law, you cut off your yeah. hand. That's well, it. They cut off your okay. body. But we're, we're not speaking about Islam here. We're speaking about the parable that Jesus, the point that Jesus was getting yeah. across. He wasn't, he wasn't telling anybody to actually cut off their hand or pluck out their eye. He was trying no, to get a point no. across. I get that. But there, my point here is somebody saw that verse went in, read it, said, okay, I have sinned with my right hand. I only need my left hand to live. Cut my right hand off. Okay, well, I can't speak to that. I, all I can speak to is the fact that Jesus is making the case that if you if you continue to sin, if you go ahead and you commit these sins that, and you, you're not obedient to God, then you're not going to get into heaven. I mean... Also, Matthew was, two, uh, 7, 21 mm -hmm. through 23, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is he in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the we thing is, so yeah, so the thing is, if you go ahead and you, you, you give in to iniquity and you give in to sin and you don't do the will of God, which again, I keep, keep having to go to it, it's the works that God has laid out for us to do. We have to say yes to it through our own free will. If you if you don't say yes to it through your own free will and you're just a puppet of God like Calvinists believe, then I mean think about how ridiculous that is. I mean, why would God even get angry? Yeah, why would God even get angry and wrathful at, at people that he's actually withholding grace from so that they cannot say yes to his grace? That that would be ridiculous. So to that's even get why angry his grace is irresistible. Well, if you believe God is like a a Jedi mind, you know, uh, I don't master, I don't you know, and he's he doing like Jedi mind Jedi tricks on people. Yeah, I, I guess so. You know? He's actually forgiving. If that's, if, if that's what you believe, but here's my question to you: What's the point of getting angry at people and you know that commit these sins when he actually withholds his grace and he predestined from all eternity to withhold his grace from these people for no reason whatsoever? Is he withholding them for no reason? He's holding them because they don't believe. He's going well, to I've asked Calvinists. He's, he's going I've, to control I've atheists. I've asked Calvinists, and they they say we don't need to have a reason. He doesn't need to have a reason because he's maybe, maybe we don't have a reason, but I'll tell you, he's got the reason. God's got the reason. He no, they're saying I, again. I've, if you go back and listen to my discussions with Matt Slick. He said God does liberal. not have to have a reason because he's all sovereign. He's all good, all sovereign. Therefore, he doesn't have to have a reason. Now, you know what? 
monicism. Well, I have a reason, but I think he's got one. And if you ask him, I think he'll give okay, it to well you. Then if you believe he has one, then you agree with Catholicism. You don't agree with Calvinism because Catholicism says he has a reason. I agree Calvinism with Calvinism because, because God first must choose you before you can have any hope of choosing him. Oh, and I absolutely agree with you. No, I agree with okay. you. And Catholicism agrees with you. But at least you're and, saying and, and, that he has a reason for that. Calvinism says that there is no reason. And if, again, I've had numerous conversations with Matt Slick on this. He says that God does not need a reason. And he's not the only Calvinist that says this. No, and Catholicism I'm says that there is a reason why God would go ahead and withhold his grace from certain individuals, would predestine the case for that to occur. And we believe that that yep. case is Molinism. Now, you may not agree with that because that, you know, I agree it's with not some a dogmatic teaching of the Catholic order. Church, All right. but it's a theological construct of the Catholic Church that many theologians hold, which is that Molinism is the reason in which God has determined, predetermined, to withhold his grace from certain individuals. But Calvinists don't believe in Molinism. Oh. They say God does it for no reason. Well, I dare you to have this conversation with Ravi Zacharias or uh, John, John Lennox because they both clearly and vocally deny Calvinism, but they don't deny God. Well, I'm glad they deny Calvinism. At least that's a start. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Oh. All right. Sorry. Andrew, I, I think you need to go watch a rugby game or something. <laughs> You're just getting too high. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I really didn't want to get to the whole topic about Calvinism, but you kept bringing it up. And and usually my stance is this. If you, if you don't agree with Calvinism, fine. Whatever. Okay. It, it's a non-essential matter. It really is. In my view... It, uh, I mean, I hold to Calvinism, but if if you don't, I don't care. Um, it's it's a non-essential matter. It's just a different view of God's uh, uh, sovereignty. So, I mean, if you have a different view, then fine. But um, but I think a lot of the stuff that you're bringing up is, is a lot of straw men, and um, it's it's really just unnecessary, basically. Um, I feel also that well, which which was a straw man? Was it Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three, or Matthew five twenty nine through thirty, or five uh, Galatians five nineteen through twenty one? Which which verse was a straw man? I'm, I'm not going to get into debating with with Calvinism with you because you're not going to agree no well, matter can what. I ask, can I ask him a question real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, how much of Calvin have you actually read? Like John Calvin himself. Have you read the Institutes and all of that? Have you read? No, I, I haven't read anything from John Calvin. I've only had conversations with Calvinists. Okay, so um, so I, my suggestion to you would be go to the primary source. Don't ask Calvinists what Calvin taught because that to me that's that is um, one that's intellectual suicide. Not going to the source first and then arguing from the source against those who claim to hold to the source because. How do you know the Calvinist is teaching true Calvinism if you don't even know what Calvin himself taught? 
That's well, so how so. how do we know that Calvin? Well, that's a good question. How do we know that John Calvin taught true Calvinism when Calvinists disagree amongst each other no, on just, aspects no, just, of Calvinism? Well, I'm not here. I'm not trying. How to do you know that John Calvin taught taught the true Calvinism? If, if you're going to try to refute Calvin, you ought to at least read what he wrote from himself. Well, no, I'm I'm refuting Calvinism. I'm refuting Calvinism uh, from many different Calvinists that I've spoken to because they're all wrong on whatever belief they have with regards to Calvinism. But you're you're telling me to go to John Calvin, but John Calvin simply has a different Calvinistic view from all the other Calvinists I've spoken to, I assume. So so my question to you... How do you know that? So this is my question to you. How do you know? He's making a really good point there. How do you know what these other Calvinists are wrong if you never read any kind of Calvin? I mean, John Calvin at all. Well, this is my this is this is the question I'm asking. How do you know that John Calvin has the correct view of Calvinism instead of all the other Calvinists like Matt Slick and all the other Calvinists? <laughs> no, that's a question for you. How do you? I, I don't understand. No, you're telling me to go to John Calvin. You're the one that's telling me to go to John Calvin. So that question is for you. No, you're arguing. We're not critiquing it. We agree with it. We're arguing against Calvinism from secondhand information. You're not going to the source. Do you know how incredibly dishonest it would be for someone to argue against Roman Catholicism without going to the source of, without going to the Vatican's or the, or to. uh, So, so you're agreeing that the source of Calvinism is not Jesus Christ, but John Calvin, a man. Outside of the Bible, Calvinism is just a view of God's sovereignty. It's not the it's not the gospel. It's not the Bible. No. Okay, it's so it's a view. theological it's, concept it's outside of the Bible. Yeah, it's soteriology. That's all it you, is. It's, you haven't even right. read Calvin, though. You haven't even you haven't even read Calvin. So how would you? How do you? But why? Again, my question to you: If you're telling me to go to John Calvin, then you're saying that John Calvin has the true Calvinist theology. Otherwise, why are you pointing me to John Calvin? So my question to you is this. Do you believe John Calvin is the true source of Calvinism that all Calvinists should be obedient to and recognize as being the true source of Calvinism? No, I'm trying to just keep you consistent. I'm just asking you to be consistent. If you're going to try to... Well, you just told me earlier that he was the true source. You said that he was the original true source of Calvinism. Now you're saying he's not. First-hand knowledge of it. It's the original. Okay, so he's the original, but is he the true source of Calvinist theology, meaning that is truth found in his Calvinist belief? If not, then what was the point of going to him? Uh, if it lines up with Scripture, sure. Okay, so Matt Slick's view of Calvinism does not line up with Scripture, but John Calvin's view does? Is Matt here today to defend himself? No. So let's just stop bringing him up. Well, John Calvin's dead. I can only speak to people that's alive today. Yeah, but you can go read all of his works. You can go read all of his works. Yeah, well, John Calvin is, I mean, obviously. you can go read everything he ever wrote. So I can't speak to John Calvin. But I can can speak to people today, and I can bring the truth to people today, and I can refute what they're saying today. So I don't need to go back to somebody that lived 500 but, years ago or 400 years ago. You need to represent Calvinism before you start to, to refute. So you're telling me that all the Calvinists today are not accurately – Matt Slick is not accurately representing Calvinism is what you're saying. I don't, I don't, I don't listen to Matt Slick 24-7. So I don't okay, know what Matt so you're Slick saying John Calvin accurately – 
I'm I saying, asked you earlier. You keep going. You keep contradicting you yourself. Read, you have not even read the works of John Calvin. So how would you know? Okay, so then John Calvin actually represents Calvinism. That's your point right now, that John Calvin accurately represents Calvinism. And this is this. Yes is or no. This is the point I'm trying to make. Is you are well, I'm not going to go and read John Calvin unless you tell me that his view accurately represents Calvinism. If if you tell me his view accurately represents Calvinism, then I will go and read John Calvin. I don't I don't listen to Matt Slick, so I don't know what Matt Slick teaches. No, I listen to my question. If you tell me right now that John Calvin accurately represents Calvinist theology then I will most certainly go read John Calvin. So is that your contention right now, that John Calvin represents the truth of Calvinism? I would say that if you want, okay, if you want to know what John Calvin taught in a way that you can refute it consistently, yes, go read John Calvin. Okay, so you're saying that he does represent the truth of Calvinism. So therefore, Calvinists like James White, uh, Matt Slick, and other Calvinists, MacArthur, and so forth, you're saying that if they disagree with John Calvin, then they're wrong, John Calvin is right. Well, what because about, you can't have two, on, on, unless on, you're a relativist, well, what about, because you can't what have two Roman truths. Catholic There's only one truth. Pope disagrees with another pope. What about the Roman Catholic? Yeah, well, when, oh, well, well everyone else. Which pope yeah, do I go to? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Which pope no, 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 I can answer that question. I can answer that question, and I'm glad you asked that uh -huh. question. Uh -huh. um, everyone else knows that I'm a traditional Catholic. We reject Francis what, and all the post-Vatican II. What do you mean by traditional? We, we hold to the traditional 2,000-year dogmatic teachings of the Catholic Church as the Catholic Church has always understood her dogmas. We uh -huh. do not accept the post-Vatican II antipopes, which means that we do not believe that the papal claimants after Vatican II are true popes because how did you, how, they how, disagree how, how with the 2,000. How do you know? You asked me a question. Right? How do you know you're you not asked right? me a question. Right. Okay. You asked me a question. Uh -huh. do, do you want me to answer? Yeah, go ahead. So, we believe that there are dogmatic teachings of the Catholic Church, and dogmatic teachings are teachings through the deposit of faith, through uh, councils in union with a pope, a true pope, and ex cathedra statements, which is certain type of language that a pope, a does, pope? a pope does, whereby he's speaking to whereby he's speaking to all the faithful. And so anyone that is elected as Pope is a true Pope, unless they depart from the faith or they departed from the faith before they were elected, then it's not a valid, valid. So election. he doesn't have the authority Which, then. So he doesn't have the, he has to conform. He doesn't actually have authority. He has to conform. In order to be, in order to have authority, you have to be Catholic. Which means that all the papal claimants, but if he's after elected, Vatican II, if, he's elected, uh, if you allow me to explain, I, you ask me, I'm trying to explain to you. I'm trying to explain to you. I'm trying to explain to you. Right. We traditional Catholics do not believe that any of the papal claimants post-Vatican II are true popes because we don't believe that they're Catholic. We believe that they're Protestant heretics like yourself. Okay, he must be no. muting himself. No. I'm really puzzled. Now, I I have no problem believing that post-Vatican II popes are heretics, but how in the world do you think they're the same thing as Protestants? Well, for example, Francis believes I mean, in don't. evolution. Well, yeah, well, Francis believes in evolution. We don't. Yeah, right. And I mean, he's well, actually, many Protestants do believe in evolution. You may not, 
and I share your view that evolution is wrong, but there are many Protestants that do believe in evolution. And that goes against scripture. And that goes against scripture. It's a loss of faith. There's a lot of Roman Catholics that believe the Vatican too. So, I, I mean... No, there's not a lot of Roman Catholics that believe in Vatican II, because yeah. if they believe in Vatican II, then they're departing from the traditional dogmatic teachings of the Catholic Church, because there's numerous according, teachings in Vatican II that actually contradict Catholic teachings. According to you. No, not according to me. According to the past dogmatic teachings of the Catholic Church. For example, Pope St. Leo the Great said that it is impossible for the blood of redemption, the waters of baptism, and the spirit of renewal to be separated from one another, and yet... The post-Vatican II papal claimants, which are false popes, believe in something called baptism of desire, which is essentially a Protestant view of faith alone, where they believe you don't necessarily need water baptism, because if you die without getting water baptism, you'll go to heaven anyway, because you desire to have water baptism. Sort of like being desired, you have a desire to get married, but you didn't get married, but you, you have the sacrament of marriage anyway, you know. It's uh, 